Welcome to the Arts and Sciences Matters podcast, brought to you by the College of Arts and Sciences at Georgia State University. This is your host, Anna Varela. Our goal is to bring you insights from researchers working on a broad range of social, cultural, and scientific challenges. Today's guest is Maurice Parron, a professor of neuroscience and psychology. Dr. Parrault joins us today to talk about her research into the relationship between memory and obesity. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, 40% of U.S. adults are obese, which is equal to more than 93 million people. Obesity is a risk factor for serious health problems such as diabetes, heart disease, stroke, and some types of cancer. So what can neuroscience tell us about why so many of us struggle with our weight? First, I understand that your research focuses on a part of the brain called the hippocampus. What is the hippocampus? The hippocampus is a structure in the brain that is very critical for learning and memory. Without it, you suffer from severe amnesia. So tell us a little more about that relationship between the hippocampus and obesity, and how does amnesia figure into all this? Well, first of all, if you think about the causes of obesity, a major cause is overeating. And then if you think about what controls eating behavior, the brain is primarily responsible for that. So a lot of research has focused on how the brain controls eating behavior and how that might go wrong in obesity. And a lot of that has focused on brain areas involved in hunger, satiety, feelings of fullness, or feelings of pleasure. Um, And the research has ignored other processes that the brain is involved in, such as memory. And if you think about memory in terms of brain control of eating, memory provides the brain with a record of what you've eaten that far outlasts most of the physiological signals that have been generated by the food that you've eaten and by the act of eating. So it's a long-term record and allows you to keep track of, allows your brain to keep track of what you've been eating. So I think a lot of, uh, people listening might find this really counterintuitive. My, my gut doesn't just tell me if I'm still full? Well, it does, but then today you have a recollect, you might make decisions today about what to eat that are based on what you ate yesterday or last week. So yesterday I was at an event where they served pizza and I ate a lot of it and I don't have those signals in my gut anymore but I'm going to probably pick a salad for lunch based on my memory of what I ate yesterday and earlier in the week. So if memory and the urge to eat are so closely tied, what, how are people with amnesia affected? So people with amnesia do have a hard time recalling whether or not they've eaten, will complain that they're not being fed, for instance. And when asked to rate their feelings of hunger and fullness, are unable to uh, describe them. And if you take away all the cues of a meal and, and let them eat till they're full and then present them with another meal again, research has shown that they'll eat that second meal till they're full. And if presented with a third meal, would eat that one as well. Whereas a control uh, patient would have eaten less in the first meal to begin with and would have refused the second and third meal. Also, if you just take people who don't have amnesia and you distract them while they're eating, impairing their memory of that meal, they then eat more at their next eating episode. So if we're eating, you know, sitting in front of the TV on the couch or playing a video game or doing something like that, does that put us at risk of 
eating too much? Absolutely. So there's scientific research showing that when participants are brought to a laboratory situation and distracted with television, computer games, and presented food while they're doing that, that they are they have impaired memory of that meal. They can't list the items or the order in which they ate things or the amount. And then when they're presented with food, are more likely to eat more. Um, and they're presented food not knowing that this is a, an eating experiment. They think this is an experiment about their computer skills or their t- or about the TV program that they've watched. And so those uh, memory cues aren't there for them, and it overrides what their body might be telling them. <laughs> you know, their their body's not providing a strong enough signal that hey, you just ate plenty. <laughs> right, and and those signals go away, though, as you know, right? So you might overeat and have an extended stomach and your pants might feel tight, but through, you know, a few hours later, those signals are gone. And so if you don't recall what you ate, you might not make decisions based on your actual intake for that day. So does your research point to any potential treatment for obesity? Well, first of all, what we what we hypothesized was that these effects that were observed in people with amnesia and in normal participants who were distracted while eating was mediated by hippocampal brain cells. And so the first thing we did was to test the hypothesis that if we disrupted hippocampal function during the period after a meal when the memory of the meal would be undergoing stabilization, that later on uh, animals would eat more. And, And that's what we found. And so our evidence points to that period right after a meal is being critical for affecting your future intake, being critical for forming the memory of that meal. And so what people may want to do is really pay attention to what they're eating and perhaps describe it out loud or have an app, take pictures of it, uh, take pictures of it before and after, and think about the pleasure they got from the meal, the sensory qualities, etc., to really form a strong memory of that meal. Does it sort of boil down to just being more mindful about what you're eating? Absolutely. So we're talking about mindfulness here. And the neural mechanisms or the brain mechanisms that allow mindfulness to promote healthy eating and potentially weight loss. Let me ask another question about the hippocampus. So is that part of the brain different in people of normal weight versus people who are overweight? It is. Yes, it is indeed. So... There's a lot of interesting research uh, on uh, people who are overweight and obese, and when um, brain imaging is done, um, what you see is that the size of their hippocampus is smaller. Um, The other thing that is observed is that uh, when they lose weight, for instance, through diet or bariatric surgery, for instance, the size of the hippocampus can come back to control levels. So it can get bigger again? It can return back to the levels seen in non the sizes seen in non-obese and overweight individuals. And we have seen that when we feed um, animals diets rich in fats and sugar, that it produces severe hippocampal-dependent memory deficits. So if you think about it, if you overeat that can disrupt your hippocampal function, including impairing the memory of the meal, which would cause you to overeat more, which would impair your hippocampus, 
causing a vicious cycle that might contribute to the development and maintenance of obesity. And that seems to be especially true with a high, essentially a high-carb diet? Uh, foods high in sugar. Mm-hmm. So carbs, sugar are carbs. Uh, diets high in fats, saturated fats. And also, I would suspect diets that lack fiber or are highly processed because they can disrupt the uh, digestive system and some of those disruptions lead to obesity uh, and altered eating behavior. Mm -hmm. Do you think that someday we'll have that magic pill that so many people would like to, to have to make it easier to control weight? I don't think a memory pill will be the cure to obesity. There are other candidate mechanisms, perhaps. Not only do I think that pills aimed at memory won't help treat obesity, but I also think that medication aimed at uh, targeting uh, brain systems involved in pleasure or fullness or hunger probably won't be able to effectively treat obesity because a lot of money has already been devoted to those efforts without much success to date. And I think the most effective strategy is not going to be a pill, but rather behavioral and cognitive interventions. So what drew you to the study of memory and obesity? I have been a researcher studying how the brain makes memories for longer than I care to say, perhaps (laughs) almost 30 years. And the course of my program has changed and evolved over the years. I had a baby in 2000, and at the time I was trying to figure out how to feed him, and I was reading about nutrition, and uh, a lot of uh, papers were demonstrating the effects of high fructose diets on a variety of body functions and impacting the brain. And based on that, I hypothesized that they would impair memory, which led me to begin a program investigating the effects of high fructose diets on memory. And we were the first to show that, indeed, they impaired hippocampal-dependent memory. Hmm. And that launched me into the reciprocal relationship. So if eating impacts memory, I became curious about how memory might impact eating. Hmm. What do you think is the biggest misperception that uh, the average person might have about your discipline? I think that it's commonly thought that neuroscientists are biologists in a laboratory setting, Mm -hmm. and all kinds of people are neuroscientists. We have mathematicians, physicists, philosophers, nutritionists, psychologists. The discipline, the brain is all-encompassing. It's hard to think of a function that's not mediated by the brain, and therefore you need a neuroscientist or contributions from all those disciplines to neuroscience. So there's not a neuroscientist type, and neuroscientists can be found in all departments within a university. Interesting. Well, now our fun final question. Um, Do you have a favorite book or movie that touches on your area of research? I have several, and actually, if you Google, you can see a lot of uh, lists about movies and books devoted to memory, but my favorite one to date is about patient H.M., who is a famous patient in the history of neuroscience, and in particular memory, who had his hippocampus removed for the treatment of epilepsy, and he developed severe amnesia that um, was the first real concrete evidence to suggest that the hippocampus was critical for brain function. 
This book is interesting because it's written by the surgeon's grandson, hmm. who's a journalist, and it encompasses all kinds of topics in addition to memory, such as the ethics uh, of of how you do these brain surgeries, and then of course the um, the way that he was studied for over forty years, and then he his brain was donated to science. And I'm not sure how he could have consented to that. So the book is interesting to me. It's it's flawed in the sense that. Um, it doesn't have citations and sources, but it's a fun read, and I highly recommend it if you're interested in memory and neuroscience. And what was the title again? Patient HM. Okay, we'll look for that. Well, thank you for spending some time with us today, Dr. Perron. This has been the Arts and Sciences Matters podcast, brought to you by the College of Arts and Sciences at Georgia State University. You can follow us or let us know what you think on Twitter at GSUArtSci. And you can find more episodes on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Thank you for listening, and we hope you subscribe so you won't miss out on future episodes.